0: the power of a, a pop song at that right moment to get into your song, to be consumed as a song as it is, I think, cannot be understated. And so when it comes to these visual albums here, these visual albums are ultimately, let's be, they're collections of songs. And so basically, it's not even a matter of how well you string them together because you could do a visual album, standalone music videos, they're all together in one package, or a narrative tying them together. Whatever you want to do, I feel like the songs themselves have to be a highlight. It's when you string them together they become potentially a larger package or make a larger statement than what people would expect it to be.
1: Welcome to Long Live The Music, a podcast from It's All Dead, made by music fans for music fans. I'm Kyle Hawk. Welcome to Long Live The Music. I'm Kyle Hawk, editor-in-chief at itsalldead.com. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Very excited about uh, today's show really anything to take my mind off of this horrid, horrid winter. And I know a lot of people are experiencing uh, just a massive winter storm right now. I was telling our our guest, who I'll introduce in a moment right before we started, I just got done shoveling my driveway for the third time in the past 24 hours. And, you know, if you listen to our show regularly, you know, every year around this time, I start bellyaching about winter. Um, and I just, you know, Music is something that I use to kind of get me through winter. We've talked about like seasonal music. Like what are the sounds of fall? What, is, what does a summer album sound like? I use music to like pull me out of winter. I mean, I think we've talked about... There's probably a few albums that I can associate with winter, but mostly my winter music is stuff that I'm trying to get my mind off of it actually being winter. I don't know about the rest of you, but that, that's that's how I roll. But, you know, hey, it is what it is. and And frankly... You know, it's good that snow does still fall from the sky because we may not have that uh, too much longer. Who knows? I, you know, uh, anyway, sorry, that was dark, but it's true. Climate change is real. Uh, and now it's time to talk about music. So, <laughs> a similarly <laughs>
0: controversial subject.
1: Yes, exactly. Hey, Evan Saudi is here. Evan is uh, a regular on this podcast. I would say that at this point. He's on about once a year, at least. He is a uh, writer for Pop Matters. Uh, he and I used to uh, be at Pop Matters together back in the day, and we've maintained a really awesome friendship. He's one of my favorite music writers that's out there. He also writes for Yard Barker. Um, he's he's just an all-around music aficionado, and it's always a blast to have him on. Evan, welcome to the show.
0: Listen, I, I first off, let me just say uh, I it's the, my first time been on since the rebrand. So I'm so happy mm. to be here. I'm so happy to be here on Sneaker Speak. We're talking about those uh, Bo Jackson Air Trainers that just dropped, right? We're talking about those <laughs> those nice little Kansas City ones. They look great. I gotta say, comfy, workoutable. They're great.
1: And there it is. I was wondering. I thought maybe he won't. Maybe he'll skip it this time. But there it is.
0: <laughs> why would I? Why would I ever skip a Kansas City Royals? You got to keep it up at this Every, point.
1: that one. Yeah, that was a deep cut. I like. They that. made it so um, far
0: this year, Daggett.
1: <laughs> well, hey, uh, you know, I love to have Evan on, one, because he's so smart about music, and we like to have smart people about music on this show, but also um, Evan writes a lot of really awesome and tr- interesting stuff, and when he does that, I like to have him on to talk about it, and just this week, he he told me about this project that he was working on a little while back, and I, I gasped when he told me, uh, one, because we're coming out of a season in which I feel like music writers just, we get ground like into dust with all of the the end of year blurbs and evan took on this massive project in which he did the for yard barker it's the definitive ranking of every visual album who knew that there were so many uh there's 50 in total he ranked them all he talked about all of them i had a lot of thoughts about it and i have a lot of questions i want to ask and uh evan is obviously the guy to do it and Evan, evan we're gonna get into a lot of different angles of this but I wanted to start by asking like where where did this idea come from? I mean, because it's a big undertaking from what I understand, uh, how did How did this even come about? So this
0: one, this one was one that I pitched myself and it came about because last year we were blessed with two relatively high profile visual albums that kind of came in quick succession. We had a Casey Musgraves, She released her star crossed visual to go with her excellent album. In my opinion, I know it's been covered yep. on it's all dead before. And also, of course, Halsey. Uh, because I, I I know a bucking tradition of what has been said on It's All Dead. I will say I haven't been the biggest Halsey fan, but this was definitely the project that made me kind of turn around on her. Simply because she wanted Ooh. to put out her new album uh, and it basically was decided to not do anything even remotely pop. She was working with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross of Nine Inch Nails and did something much different, very striking, and decided to set it to a visual as well. And seeing those two back to back, I'm like, man, there hasn't really been, you know, like a recap, like a total summary of like visual albums altogether. And is one of those things where it's just one of those ideas that just starts gnawing on your brain of basically as a writer, you get to that point of, okay, I don't see this article out there in the world. So clearly I need to write it, be the article you want to be in the universe. And so I'm like, this'll be a fun little thing I can go through and I can kind of, you know, rank all the visual albums. But I think what was fun about it but was also terrifying about it was the enormity of it the yeah the the first off how like the sheer number of visual albums because you've been on youtube there's so many that are on there from artists that you may or may not have heard of and then the other part was that okay how do i even get this list down to a reasonable point how do i do that so it then became the very tough part of like how do you define a visual album I had in yeah. order to make in order to make this, I had to give myself some parameters. So the biggest one for me was it had to be 30 minutes or more because there are so many visuals out there on the YouTube that are 24 minutes and 28 minutes. And so that's why the Arcade Fire and Tierra Whack and so many other like, you know, uh, very fascinating great artists who've done fascinating visuals. I'm like, for the sake of if we're talking about a visual album and not what is in essence a visual L you know, EP. Internet. I had to put in that thirty-minute restriction there. So I see some people yeah. already in the comments being like, "Well, why didn't you include this one?" or "Blah blah blah." And it's like, "Well, because it wasn't long enough." That's that's the <laughs> end. That's the end story. Uh, right. And then the other thing was also it had. I really wanted it to be a visual album. What that entails, it could be music videos, it could be a single narrative, it could be a feature film. However, however they want to define that is great, but it just couldn't be. A concert film. I, that was the biggest thing. I didn't want to have it just be, you know, because otherwise if we were including concert films and we're talking about the filmed version of Prince's Sign of the Times, that's going to be extremely right. high up there. But I, I, we had to have some parameters. Otherwise this list would be 200 entries long and I would have died from st- keyboard <laughs> starvation at that point.
1: Yeah, no kidding. I, I loved the way that you kind of set the parameters on it. Uh, it made a lot of sense to me. And I didn't. I don't think I fully realized. You know, you mentioned Casey Musgraves and Halsey. We we obviously talked about both of those visual albums on this podcast last year. Um, I, I didn't think about it as like, oh, the the terminology visual album isn't something that's always been around. It makes sense when you actually think about it. But it's like it, it's the coined term of it, and what that definition actually means is like. A thing now, whereas it wasn't in the past, and that means that you have to set some parameters to kind of collect in everything that's going to fit underneath that umbrella and, and make sense when you're making a list like this. Um, so, one of the things when you first told me about it, the first thing that jumped to my mind is like, oh my god, like how how's this even possible to do? How I mean, did you watch? I mean, I'm presuming you'd seen multiple of these before. Did you watch all of them in full leading up to like putting this together?
0: I watched if there were ones that I had already seen before that I've just had in my heart that I knew very well, some that required a rewatch, specifically Pink Floyd's The Wall, because my roommate showed it to me in college and it left a definite impression, but I really needed the refresher. But so many of them, as I began researching just it kept going. It just kept going and I had to keep watching more. And I can't tell you how frustrated I was when one of my friends sent me uh a, the video playlist of all the songs that Carmen, K-A-R-M-I-N, had done for their second album, Legal Rising, <laughs> for the couch visuals, where they're just sitting in various locations, lip syncing to their song and again I was looking at it. He said it as a joke and I was like, oh shit, this this qualifies as a visual album. And it was so like, at that point, my list was 43. I had 43 entries down and then it just kind of like blossomed to the point where it was 49. And once it hit 49, I'm like, okay, well I have, I have to find, there's something out there that has to qualify for 50. I have to do that. So welcome our number 50 entry. R Kelly's trapped in the closet, which technically, <laughs> technically counts for this list.
1: Well, you know, it's nice just to have it to be able to put it in last place. So that's good. Um.
0: (laughs) It was good because that because the other thing and I'll tell you the other thing that really that really screwed me over on this was I was looking at other lists to trying to get like an idea of like, had anyone done this before? What were people quantifying and qualifying? And I will forever have a bone for this for a lot of people saying that one of the very first visual albums was the film A Hard Day's Night by the Beatles because it is a movie but it's a movie that's interspersed with these song performances that are seemingly outside the plot. You definitely wouldn't call it a movie Mm. musical as you would like Chicago or Oklahoma or whatever, but it is anything location based, which are musicals. Uh, But the thing is, and so once that kind of became part of it and like, Oh, so uh, hard day's night, a lot of people are qualifying it saying it's one of the first ones. Well, in that case, album oriented music films, kind of are there like burlesque is a star vehicle for christina aguilera it doesn't really count in the same way that say uh help would or the same way that mm. music by sia would it became kind of this weird you know balancing dancing on the edge of a knife kind of thing of how you would define it but unfortunately that meant i had to watch music by sia and uh that wow. is an experience i do not wish on like on any enemy whatsoever it was a it was extremely difficult extremely difficult experience so yeah
1: yeah well what stuck out to you during this actual experience of digesting all of this were there any sort of common threads that came out to you as you were watching it i mean how do you consume all of this and then actually go about like understanding how to rank something that's like subjective on multiple levels of medium
0: That's a great question, and the long story short is through detailed note-taking. I can't think of a way to describe it because everything that I had watched previously, I just kind of gave it a little, you know, out of a hundred score. And I just kind of like, I didn't know what the number one album would be. I didn't know what the worst one would be, but I would just have, everything would have a little score next to it. And even stuff that I'd already seen, I would eventually rewatch and kind of like reorganize that score a bit. So that way, when I throw it together, I organize it by that score. I would at least have a list of definitive, like, okay, here's how it is in order. And it became rough because, you know, stuff I had seen before I had to rewatch, but other things. I just, I had to rewatch it from scratch. There were a lot of things that I had never seen myself directly. I hadn't seen either of the uh, Animal Collective visual albums before. I hadn't definitely hadn't watched uh, the Todrick Hall visual albums before. And it's one of those things where I've already had uh, one of our fellow writers, uh, Bryce Zell has already accosted me for putting uh, Animal Collective's odd sack in the top 10 of this list. And part of the reason was that I don't think you understand what I was going through. I had been watching the Melanie Martinez visual albums. I had that... I had the Tadra Calls. I had these other, like, candy-coated, directionless things, like, flashed before my eyes. And then when Oddsat came on, this bizarre visual insanity, quick edits, there's the, the film is bleeding, people are in masks doing things to bowls. Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but I was just like, I had entered that... A visual album it gave me exactly what i expected from a visual album and for from animal collective and for some reason that was weirdly reassuring i was like okay i love that that's fantastic it just hit to the point i went in expecting something and it delivered on every point of those expectations so it got a very high marks for that reason alone because sorry fergie's double duchess seeing double the visual experience didn't match up <laughs> to that same level yeah
1: just, yeah well you know what i was thinking with this is like So you've got this list of 50, this huge undertaking of consuming all of this and then figuring out how it all falls. You've got the obvious ones that are kind of going to float to the top just because they're incredible pieces of work. I mean, you've got Beyonce's Lemonade at number one. And frankly, I kind of expected that to be at number one. I was open to being surprised. Um, But there's there's a clear upper class and then a clear you know i'll be honest i didn't know that fergie had a visual album or uh even that sia did or r kelly there there were the obvious bottom ones too i would imagine that range of like 20 to 40 is probably where it gets a little trickier maybe to like figure out how to exactly place one over below another is that how it felt to you Oh, absolutely. Like,
0: when I'm doing these little scores out of 100 thing, a majority of things usually fell somewhere between, like, 40 to 70, you know, kind of in that generic middle ground, kind of that very that very safe pitchfork review ground of just, like, you know, it's it's good enough, it's interesting. And, like, for that reason, I didn't think when I'm doing this list that Florence and, Machi- Florence and the Machines' The Odyssey would be in the top 20 of visual albums, but that's just kind of how it shook out in terms of, like, it delivered on its promises, it was visually arresting, it's not my favorite thing I've ever seen seen but in terms of what a visual album can do and what it can provide it definitely like hit those right notes so i was surprised in some of those things like how it shook out in terms of the final rankings even i could even say that for kanye's runaway too because that, like okay that's entertaining it's you know fun it's not like especially deep unless you really want to ascribe powerful meaning to it but it did what it did incredibly it indulged perfectly as I would like to sure. describe, you know? Uh, so yeah, it was interesting to see it shake out. It really came, once it came down to the top 10, I got really nitpicky, but also the echelon for that was is surprisingly different. I was sure as hell wasn't expecting to put Justin Bieber's purpose, the movement as high as I did, but also it was probably, uh, he, yeah. he made the smartest decision of his career by not being in a majority of it. So hats off to him. That was uh that was uh, that was a wise decision.
1: Yeah. I'm putting a, a thumbtack on that one because I <laughs> want to come back come back to it a little bit later. But I one of the things I thought about, and again, when you first told me about this, and I was kind of visualizing in my head, you mentioned Pink Floyd's The Wall. Obviously, Prince had some very, you know, Purple Rain. Like, th- there's certain things from the past that I think of that back then, we wouldn't have even called them visual albums. But again, just applying my knowledge of what that medium is now backwards in time. In my head, you know, you think about... Music becoming much more visual in the 80s with MTV coming on the scene, obviously, and music videos become a thing. And so in my mind, it's like, oh, you we can go back like several decades for this. Like when a lot of stuff really started to happen. What was surprising to me when I saw the actual list is like you've got the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s all represented there but over half the list actually came out in the 2010s like it's very meager especially in those early dates even the 80s there's not as much as you would have thought i guess it makes sense that people are figuring out how to represent like a song in video form and over time that evolves into like a much more like larger conceptual full album type experience but i wasn't thinking that initially like going into this were you was it like on your mind like how recent this concept at least at the uh you know the quantity of what we have now that it, that it really is
0: I mean, I will say that I think, you know, if you and I were in the same moment when Beyonce dropped her legendary self titled album in 2013. You know, it was uh, a striking and powerful experience, but also it's one of those things where people associated, they gave it the term a visual album, even though it had clearly yeah. been done before. Like for me, my biggest, one of my biggest surprises of seeing that Blondie had done it in 19, uh, 1979 heading into 1980. They had filmed a music video for every track, and that was two years before. They even, MTV even launched. They just filmed videos. It's not very impressive. They're just performing at a variety of locations with different outfits. But like, they went ahead and they did it there. But then again, it's one of those things where as much as, you know, Beyonce dropping this as a prize thing and giving everything a really solid music video treatment, it really showed that she cared about it. It's kind of elevated her music to a different plane of just most people, they will film a music video for the couple best tracks or they'll make a 12 minute video if it's super dramatic. But to film a music video for every track, to have that kind of confidence, to put that kind of also high end budget spectacle into every single one of them, that's a huge undertaking. And it basically kind of shows how much you value your own work. And obviously in the 2000s and 2010s, The money isn't as big as an issue as it was, because now, you know, previously in the 80s, yes, someone could buy a $300 synthesizer and maybe make some stuff on their own. But for the most part, you needed a studio. You needed to have, you know, access to these certain things to try and make music. And nowadays you can you can film stuff on your iPhone and have it come out in pretty decent quality with some slow-mo stuff like the levels of which accessibility had become Available has like it changed the game, but also because so many people now had access to do these things because they were able to make these things. That also leads to an influx of not only sheer number of visual albums, but a sheer number of bad visual albums too. Like genuinely. When I talk about this Carmen album, the couch sessions where they just film themselves sitting in a location, mouthing along to every one of their songs. And there's edits and there's slow motion parts and there's quick cuts and things like that. But they're just sitting there. They have vastly underestimated how much the power of two people sitting in front of a camera can be, even if it's in a different location for every track. Like it was just one of the things like you had the access to do it. I don't know why you did it, though. It was just a very kind of confusing mess on that end,
1: you know? That's interesting because I was just getting ready to ask you if you noticed like a pre-2013 Beyonce style or quality of the, the actual work and then post-2013. But it almost sounds like even though Beyonce did such an incredible job of it and opened the floodgates for what this new sort of thing could be. It didn't necessarily mean that everybody was putting out the quality of what Beyonce was doing. There were a lot of just kind of crappy visual albums post-2013 as well. So the quantity increased, but it's not necessarily true that the overall quality increased.
0: That's true, except the only thing I will say is that I feel like, and this just might be more of a general thing, and maybe you that this too, history remembers the winners. History always remembers the hmm. giant successes. And if you look back at like some of the charts in like the 1960s and 70s, you see these number ones that pop up of like, well, I never heard of that artist. That thing definitely came and went. Disco Duck, what's that? You know, like all right. these things that just kind of happened because you really remember the stuff that lasted or had a cultural impact. So for that reason, it's kind of crazy to go back and watch things like uh, – help by the beatles uh because like we all know the album we all know the soundtrack and the songs that came from it but the movie itself of help yes the band are breaking out into performances every once in a while but does anyone remember that the entire plot of the movie is about a cult trying to steal a ring off of ringo like that's (laughs) that's the plot of the movie and it's just i'm like And then they break out into these random locations where they break into a song. It has nothing to do with the plot. And then they're just at this location for the rest of the narrative. And it's just... What? It's just so surreal. And apparently, if you read <laughs> yeah. interviews, the Beatles weren't happy with this weird slapsticky direction that they're in, because in a Hard Day's Night, they're playing the Beatles, and they're kind of joking around with beatles s problems while being funny. And now they're out on dealing with cults and shit. And apparently, this is around the time that they started smoking weed and showing up to set kind of stone, and maybe kind of sort of getting their takes down. Like It was like, oh, wow, so quality control was an issue. The only reason a film like that truly did persevere is is because it's the Beatles. That's the only pure reason why. Right. You know, If you look at like Harry Nilsson when he did his weird vampire movies, that stuff is extremely hard to find. Wouldn't qualify for this list for that reason. And also even The Monkees, their movie Head, written by an out-of-his-mind Jack Nicholson, uh, it's it destroyed their career. It was a weird late 60s acid trip that has the porpoise song as a part of it, But, like, that's a weird thing. That's another thing that only perseveres because the monkeys is somehow still a brand in this day. And it's Hmm. just, like, wild to be like, no, there has been quality control all these years, you know, throughout, even though we just see so many more things now because there's that level of accessibility now.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really fascinating. I, I guess I want to shift now to, like, what makes... A visual album great. And like I mentioned, you rank Lemonade number one. And then the interesting thing is like, if you were like, you know, a consumer of music as an art form in any sort of way, you can come to the table in this discussion with a general agreement that it's a great visual album, whether you think it's the best or not is, you know, who knows, but there's not anybody I think that's going to make a hard argument against it. So talk to me about Let's use lemonade as the example, and then kind of spill off from there about after you consumed all this and came out from the cave of the the this huge understanding now of how how to think about and rank these visual albums. What makes one really truly great? What makes one that isn't just going to stand the test of time because it had that you know weird thing attached to it, or it was like a time capsule of like some really prominent band, but truly a piece of art in and of itself that's going to last and go the distance.
0: I had a buddy of mine back in high school who's gone on to do wonderful, great things an Emmy nominated director and whatnot, who argued with me that uh, he thought cinema was the ultimate art form him because it combined everything other, every other piece of art. It combined music and uh, you know storytelling and visual art and everything else together in like one place. He thought it was the ultimate art form, and that's why he wanted to pursue it. And for me, I was the sense of like, I get that, but I feel like the power of the pop song cannot be ignored because a pop song can change your mood, it can change your mind, it can change your life in the course of two to five minutes. The power of a, a pop song at that right moment to get into your song, to be consumed as a song as it is, I think, cannot be understated. And so, when it mm. comes to these visual albums here, these visual albums are ultimately, let's be, they're collections of songs. And so, basically, it's not even a matter of how well you string them together because you could do a visual album, standalone music videos, they're all together in one package, or a narrative tying them together. Whatever you want to do, I feel like the songs themselves have to be a highlight. It's when you string them together, they become potentially a larger package or make a larger statement than what people would expect it to be. And I feel like the brilliance of Lemonade is that it can be consumed either way. I feel like Lemonade is a perfect uh visual album in the sense that you can consume every single standalone music video by itself. You can watch the uh her doing hold up where she's walking down the street, bashing the shit out of the cars with the baseball bat and yeah feel that feeling. But then there's the cut right after the song ends when there's a monster truck driving down, uh, driving down, crushing all these cars while she's reading out poetry uh, at the same time. Like it's one of those things where the song alone by itself, but the narrative as a whole is also incredible by itself. Uh, you know, yeah. and so you could consume it in any form that you want and still get kind of the sense or the meaning of it, which is why it's incredible. I think back to a, a lesser example of something that didn't do that as well, which was, Moonwalker which was michael jackson's mm-hmm. uh visual album that he did in 1988 and the thing is it's kind of sort of the same thing it's trying to tell a through line because here's it it's kind of weird because it's trying to do everything at once it starts out with kind of like a 10 minute here's michael jackson's history here's some live performance footage and then here's a bunch of music videos that kind of have a plot together if you haven't seen the video for speed demon off of the bad album it features the most terrifying claymation you've ever seen in your life uh it's a nightmare <laughs> fuel it really is uh but then he gets over into the uh part where he's the smooth criminal where he's wearing the white hat he's doing the leaning the music video for smooth criminal is in the moonwalker film but the yep. thing is, it's surrounded by narrative. It's surrounded by a whole bunch of kids trying to help out Michael and do the right thing, including uh, Sean Lennon, John Lennon's son, as one of those kids. And then there's the evil villain played by Joe Pesci, who has a top knot and is wearing heels mm-hmm. for some reason, who is beating the kids. And so he, you see a little bit of that before the video breaks into Smooth Criminal, and then the Smooth Criminal video happens. And then after the Smooth Criminal video... There's Joe Pesci beating the kids, gunmen surrounding Michael Jackson, at which point he somehow turns into a giant robot, and and the robot is not damaged by bullets, and it's just shooting rockets and killing people. And it's just like, what am I watching? There is truly, my, my husband said my <laughs> write-up for a Moonwalker didn't do dis, uh disservice to what the what the heck was happening on that thing. Uh, because it is insane. And it's one of those things where this narrative is insane. The only reason it happens is because Michael Jackson had money and people thought they didn't see him do anything. But the thing is that doing anything and not having someone say no at any point during the process led to a confusing film that basically was kind of the anti-Lemonade. It it had some good songs in there, but if you try to consume it as a whole, it ruins a lot of experiences that you have with some of that music. It was a wild time.
1: The way you laid that out makes total sense. Um, And it kind of leads me into my next question, because the, the way you explain what makes Lemonade so great is a way that, I mean, it can obviously be a applied over like the three Beyonce visual albums, all of which are some version of great, you know, do you feel like some people's music or some artists are just going to be like better at creating a visual album than others? I mean, we could talk about Beyonce, talk about Prince, but it seems like there are certain artists who either one just have a better artistic understanding of what they want to accomplish, or maybe their music just lends itself better to the medium and they're better able to capture it. I don't know, is there, is there, there has to be something to that, right?
0: Right. Well, and I feel like it's one of those things where I describe it as pop songs are, in my mind, was kind of one of the ultimate art forms because it's something that could be consumed instantaneously and have that effect. It could change your mood or whatnot. But it's also for that reason, too. You really don't see a lot. I mean, you see some concert films, but you don't really see the visual album format really taking off with, like, hip-hop artists, for example. Like, I think the only one that's really on this list is Kanye West. And him, at that point, rap was, you know, he treated rap as pop. Music in a way that not other yep. people had, or at least was in the mainstream enough that he had the flexibility in which to do that. A lot of different variables there. But at the same time, like, it's just. Hip hop by itself doesn't immediately lead itself to that. I there are people that have done this before, as I mentioned in my intro. I would like to include JPEG Mafia's visual album that they did, but unfortunately, uh, Dark Skin Manson is not readily available. It is extremely hard to find, and I didn't feel like I'm putting it on the list if people are going to have an extremely hard time locating it. But it also felt weird because that was very much almost like the exception. That was one of the few other things I was able to find, and so it's just interesting that I do feel like different formats are here. You have yet. To see a country artist really fully do that. Like Casey Musgraves, you can argue, yes, but at the same time, Star Crossed, if we're being real with ourselves, is a pop album. And I feel like we're making that visual album with its Eugene Levy cameos and whatnot is very much a pop album thing to do, to escalate yourself to that level. So it's just kind of it's it's kind of interesting that I do feel like there's kind of weird genre inhibitors in that end, but I also would that's part of the reason why I would love to have a non-rock or pop artist kind of break through that narrative and do something different with it because it it, what that form would take like I don't know but if you have an artist like a Sava or even like a Stormzy or someone else like really try and do something with that type of visual album format I would be super curious about it's just strange how a lot of things that I found were primarily pop and rock artists
1: yeah that, uh, yeah, that's fascinating to kind of think about. And it'll be interesting to see where the, the medium goes from here because obviously it doesn't stop at 50. There's going to be more, uh, which you'll obviously have to figure out how to plug those into the, the ranking. I'm, I'm going to ask you every time a new one comes out uh, where, where, where it's going to fall. fall. Well, as so, someone uh, pointed out,
0: somehow I missed the visual album by uh, Machine Gun Kelly. Somehow it didn't get into the list. So uh, <laughs> I didn't down, even know there was one. Me neither, quite frankly. And no weirdly no one's talking about the Downfall High visual album. I don't know how... Whoopsie-daisy. Chalk that up to... Experience, I don't know. I'm not going to stress it <laughs> Poor Machine that Gun Kelly. Poor, what's he going to do with his billions of dollars? I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, I... So... One thing going into this and, you know, anybody that listens to the show knows my love of music videos. Like I am a music video. I'll I'll go ahead and call myself a music video aficionado. I I have a lot of music video trivia in my back pocket and I watch a shit ton of music videos. Pop up video. Um, Yeah, there you go. Um, Watched them when I was growing up. I watch them now. And I have a lot of strong opinions on them. Now, the interesting thing about it is that I can consume a single song in the form of a music video, but the idea of consuming an entire album has always been difficult for me. I feel like it distracts my focus that I give to the music when I'm listening to an album. I'd rather just listen to it and experience it in my head than like watch it and experience it. It's kind of weird. But needless to say, I've obviously seen visual albums and know something about it and have opinions on it which i'm going to share now um (laughs) so first of all everybody wants to hear what i have to say about this so uh first of all i was delighted that purpose ranked as well as it did because i went into your article expecting that you were not going to have a you were not going to hold it in high esteem. And I've been a defender of not only this album, but the visual experience of this album since it came out. I think it's the the best thing that he's done personally. Um, And even now I can listen to that album. I can, you know, watch those videos like it's all incredible to me. And it's something that kind of gets lost in the narrative of Justin Bieber a little bit. And I think you did a really great job of laying out like what makes it great by His absence in a lot of it, like it's just a really smartly done considering 2015 Justin Bieber. Um, So I don't know how much of that factored in. But when I saw that it that it ranked well, I was like, oh, this this makes me feel not as uh, weird and dumb.
0: Well, and for me, like, honestly, watching it, I, I have seen the music video for What Do You Mean? I think we all have at some point kind of a bank robbery drama with mm-hmm. John Leguizamo. Uh, and it's like, oh OK, this is overlong and indulgent, but, you know, whatever. Fine. Uh, but then on the visual album, it's not that. It's uh, Paris Gerbal and her dance crew uh, doing yep. uh, fucking things up on the on a playground and just doing some incredible dancing. And I'm like, oh, this is so much better because... Because he's not trying to be on camera and be famous, we actually have people dancing and delivering real talented, really tight choreography, and it's really helping elevate the song. I, was, I didn't even know there was an alternate visual to that song, and it kind of made it better for me, and it made it for a better overall visual experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. The next one I want to bring up here is Halsey. Um, you mentioned it at the top. Look, I'll, I'll go into this fully. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody knows that I'm biased on this, right? Like she's, I am at the era of my life right now. And I've been talking about this for over a year now, but I've broken up my life into eras in which specific artists define a certain era of my life. And Halsey is the artist for this time of my life right now. And I'm fascinated by everything that they do. And I, I thought that, I mean, I'm a huge fan of, if I can't, have love I want power mm-hmm. but what they did with this visual album and brought out I mean it's it's one thing to say like hey there's this album now and I I worked with you know uh Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross but I thought that the visual display of this and the way that it's not only channeling the darkness of the music that uh, they created together but the darkness of the subject matter in a way that hasn't really been explored like this, like the the horrors of, of childbirth and motherhood. And, I, I, you know, look, again, I know I'm a, a fanboy here, but I thought that it was really, I, I, I hold it very highly. It ranked number 28 on your list. It wasn't like near the bottom or something, but I, I did expect it to see, I, I expected it to be a little bit higher
0: and i think that's i think that's a fair expectation i definitely although i heard it twice before when i beforehand uh, me and my husband we just watched it straight out as soon as it was available on hbo max and it's one of those things where i feel like the the songs it's one of those things where when we're talking about individual songs versus experiences on here it was very, the storyline was very i thought personally a little bit cryptic in the sense of it's showing all these things it has some wonderful visuals the costuming by law roach is exquisite but I didn't fully get the through line, especially when you bring in the sexy witch played by Sasha Lane from the TV <laughs> show Loki, which was great. Like She's hypnotizing her and, and stuff's kind of happening on that end, but it's a little bit unclear in terms of the exact... Honestly, it's kind of the same issue that I have with Beyonce's uh, Black is King. An incredible visual feast that acknowledges the power of Black history throughout decades and even centuries to go back that far. But it's one of those things where the ultimate narrative of what Black is King is, isn't as through or or as concise, or just as palpable as, uh, say, Lemonade, for example. On that end, admittedly, sure. and, and yeah. to be fair, to be fair, Lemonade is very much an album where having these allegations of Jay Z cheating and kind of having that SBA cultural subtext that informs our feelings about the songs in the album that's helpful. And honestly, Beyonce is at a star of that level where she can use that context in her favor. Like, that's something that not a lot of people could do. A lot of people on this list don't have that same kind of echelon in which they can inform that narrative. Uh, and for Halsey's there, it was still enjoyable. I'm not, I'm not doing it whatsoever. I just felt that in terms of presenting the songs, which were done you know, beautifully and lavishly, I just didn't get that immediate sense of through line as I did with some of the other ones. That's why it's there what it is. But obviously, if we're doing the it's all dead list, I expect a completely different ranking all the way through, <laughs> a full different top 10, everything.
1: Well, you know, one of the things thinking back on it is that, you know, one of the... To go back to Lemonade, I mean, that was something that we all knew was coming and it, that was like a cultural moment when everybody was locked into not just Lemonade the album, but the visual album mm-hmm. of, of Lemonade. And there's something to that. And one of the things I thought about with uh, with Halsey was that it was released in theaters first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know late at August, you know, we were a little, a little bit different of a place in terms of the pandemic, but still it was... It was tough to kind of own that moment when you're only going to be in that sort of setting where, and I know it came available for streaming later on, but I felt like there was an opportunity for it to, you know, be more widely available right from the start with the mm-hmm. album drop, especially considering, I mean, it's basically our, you know, most critically acclaimed album at this point. So um, there, a lot of different things at work in in terms of like what that moment was or and what it could have been. Um, another moment that I thought of was runaway, uh, with Kanye West, which you brought up earlier, you know, like you mentioned, it's one of the few sort of like true hip hop, like artists and moments on this list. And it's very 2010 Kanye in its brashness and it's weirdness, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about, uh, you know, taking a Phoenix under your wing and, you know whatever he's doing in that, saving it. But there's a lot going on. It's really beautiful, and it's one of those things I can't disassociate it with late 2010 and the release of My Beautiful art, Twisted Fantasy. At the same time, now I almost... It, it is a separate thing, but the visual of it still... A, I experience it when I think about that moment when that album came out.
0: Mm-hmm. No, fully. And it's one of those things where, I mean, and when I say not a lot of rap albums are on this list too, because at this point... It's, he is releasing rap music, but he's basically a pop star. He's not a pop star mm-hmm. on the level of then Taylor Swift, of so many other people. Even to this day, when we record this podcast in the year 2022, he's still a subject of discussion. Allegedly, he's putting out another album uh, this month. So it's it's a whole thing. But again, it's that kind of rare air of which he's occupying, which not everyone else has the chance to. But also, as I said in my write-up there, not a lot of it's a very indulgent visual album, but few people indulge as well as him. Especially at that time in his career. Like it was decadent, yep. it was lavish. It was and I truly mean this in the best way. It was unnecessary, but beautifully yeah. so. Like, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah. Did this did any of this need to happen? No. Was I still entertained by it? Absolutely. Like that was kind yep. of the big takeaway on
1: that. That episode. is a perfect way to put it. Um I I was surprised to see Fallout Boy rank as well as it as they did on this list. Number twenty six for the Young Blood Chronicles, which I thought was a pretty cool undertaking considering the moment in time for them in which they were kind of making their comeback. They'd been broken up. There was this big moment of fallout boys returning. And not only do we get this album that we never thought that we'd have, but we get these sort of like, you know, many movies that are strung together into this thing. Um, it was like a really cool thing. It's not something you would expect to do with like your, like, you know, reunion album, but I actually thought it was kind of cool and I still think it's kind of cool. I I think it's probably fine placed where it is. Um, But I, I, for some reason in my head, I thought it was going to get docked some. Uh, I don't even know the reasons, but um, I I was happy to see it kind of at least land somewhere in the middle. I thought that was cool.
0: Well, I think also, as when our friend Bryce, when he was upset that I put uh, Animal Collective in the top 10, I, the other thing I think people forget is that when you watched all of these visual albums, when you watched them all the way through, when I watched Suede's Night Thoughts from 2016, when I watched Oh Wonders' Very Cheap 22 Break, when I watched Noah and the Whales' uh, The First Days of Spring, when I watch all of these indie rock albums that are lovingly shot but blandly presented on a shoestring budget, I get what they're trying to do. I'm not begrudging any artists artists for not having the budgetary means to try and make something spectacular but after all of that it's nice to have a punch of energy sometimes and truth be told it's nice to have a budget sometimes so you can do things that are entertaining that are do things that are right. wild and joyful it's wonderful to see and so like even though that one it's i wouldn't call uh, the young blood chronicles by fallout boy great by any means but i am still entertained by it absolutely straight through. But then again, look at Sia's music. Uh, That is the exact opposite case. Someone that had a lot of money and was not able to capitalize on any of those ideas that they had successfully. Uh, It was, you know, it's, oh, I could go on about that goddamn film all goddamn day. I'm so upset I had to watch it. But uh, (laughs) the thing is that like, it's, it's it's. I think after that, there's that freshness of just the pop euphoria, just embracing who they are. And truth be told, I think the most successful visual albums are people Embracing who, what makes them a great artist. I think that genuinely. Uh all you know, Beyonce, she is strong, confident, somehow unknowable, mysterious, and polished. And that is pretty much what all of her visual albums are, all the way straight through. Uh, and I am am I who am I? Someone who I don't think is as well known, but who made her career off of making basically a litany of music videos that's joined together into what turned out to be multiple visual albums. That is someone who very much knew what their identity was pretty early on and presented it visually and spectacularly, and that's how they gained the fan base and audience. That they did through being visual uh, magicians to being unknowable creatures. That you're like, what the heck is going on? And (laughs) and that was the thing. We're like, and for me, I had never before watching doing this list. I had never seen the movie Tommy before. I'd never seen the movie adaptation on it before. And that was Hmm. a wild experience. It was technically qualified. It's a visual album. It's a little weird because it's the cast, you know, actor version versus the actual band's version. And with a few exceptions, the band's version is actually superior to it. But I was just more blown away by the sheer level of craft and consideration that went into every visual into the design of the Tommy crosses that the cult has at the end. Like it was just striking in so many different ways and tones of just like, this was, you know, for coming out in 1975, it was a hit. Uh, Anne Marie got an Oscar nomination for Best Actress for it, which is even more insane. Uh, but it was just like it was just it was just an overall visual delight. Like I couldn't tear myself away, even if I didn't love every song, even though, by the way, you're in the care of this deaf, dumb and blind boy. Oh, I'm a punk. I'm going to just torture you the whole time. I'm like, this is upsetting. Right. But somehow I can't not watch like it was just it yeah. was just presented gloriously. So uh, while budget can be constrictive, if you want to try and do a visual album, it is not the only thing that's stopping people from doing it. Truly.
1: Well, I, I'm going to end this part of the conversation with my biggest nit to pick oh, here, yes. and it, it goes knit back to, to something that happened when we were conversing uh, when you told me about the this project you were doing, and I mentioned Frank Ocean, and mm-hmm. oh, I, yes. uh, I I embarrassed myself so badly that I was worried you were going to unfriend me on on Facebook <laughs> or, or something. We apparently have very different opinions of, of Frank Ocean's Endless. Clearly, judging by yes. by its ranking, below Fergie on your <laughs> list, uh, next to next to last. Look, here's my defense. Um, I mean, you heard me kind of lay out that th- my take or like the way I experience a visual album and that it's difficult for me in the way that I consume music because that's the key component for me. I'm one of those people that sets still. Like I, when I put a record on, I listen to the album front to back. I read the liner notes during it. I've done that my entire life, and so that's just the way that I experience an album. And the visual component, while cool, can sometimes take me out of what the experience I actually want to be having. What endless does? There, there's two parts to it. One, it is music that isn't accessible anywhere else other than attached to this specific project. This mm-hmm. visual album it it wasn't it's not like you can i mean you can obviously rip the music from the the film and just listen to endless but he put it out in this very specific way and i get that like the if you're looking for like some really entertaining flashy visual frank ocean building a staircase it's not that but for me (laughs) for me evan it allows me to experience this music in a way without having that distraction to which I can fully immerse myself into this art piece that is, you know, Frank Ocean is, is up there of one of the, my favorite artists of all time. I understand why it didn't rank well on the list. I just wanted to be able to like give my defense to you. So you didn't think I was a complete idiot or a complete bozo. That's, that's it. I mean, that's what it is. I, I get it. I know why it's not the flashiest thing in the world, but endless was a moment. And I think that that, is something that has to like factor in here in some way, because the way that all went down with, with endless dropping and then blonde like Frank Ocean owned a, a chunk of 2016 in a way that was like inescapable and endless was a part of that.
0: I, I, and I understand, I understand where you're coming from on that. I really do. I just think that for me, part of the read, when I watched, when I mentioned that, uh, Animal Collective was in the top 10 for Oddsack for being the ludicrous visual thing I expected it to be. They're also in the bottom 10 with uh, their Tangerine Reef semi-nature visual of mostly ambient music. And part of the reason is if you want to do a film where you're filming the beautiful undersea wildlife that we still have a lot of questions about that are still unknown, that are changing and evolving and some of the most monstrous things you've ever seen before, that's awesome. That's fantastic. When you're sitting on the same shot of a sea plant, that's kind of like, you know, basically moving its <laughs> lips for like three unchanging minutes. It's one of those things where certainly the ambient music isn't helping, but having that bland visual, it's like, oh. I understand there's color on screen, but the color is not moving. Like it's that thing where having a visual album, you are taking on the additional aspect of having to provide the visual part of it. Something that Kanye and Beyonce and even, you know, some lesser known artists like I Am Am I Who Am I are able to do wonderfully and brilliantly on there. And it's one of those things where – and to to be honest, and I'm not here to downcast anything, the music of uh, Endless has been released separately through vinyls that Frank Ocean, per tradition, will ship out roughly six months after he promises they are available. (laughs) Uh, But it's the thing where I understand that he put himself in that weird position of – I'm putting this album out. And by the way, the next day I'm putting out Blonde. And of course, everyone goes nuts over Blonde and for a kind of a moment really forgets about Endless. But also it's one of those things where Endless was a contract filler in the end and there's still some great music on there. But if we're going to argue that the visual aspect forces you to go into the music and listen to it more, I understand that. But every other visual album on here is doing what it can to enhance the music as well. And much as how you were describing it in the sense of Halsey, as well for her to put a visual aspect and a touchment to enhance the feelings of that album too i feel like if we're going to be fair in ranking these things, don't, Frank Ocean does not get an exception pass on that end where if he could have done a visual that enhanced or brought those songs to life or at least showed some more effort in there instead of kind of being the label F off that he was in, be interpreted as potentially. Uh, so I understand where you're coming from, but I politely and lovingly disagree on that.
1: <laughs> hey, I know I'm in the wrong on this one. I'm just trying to like soften the blow a little bit. Uh, in terms of my, my reputation. Do you have that
0: everything. on vinyl? Do Just you have it? <laughs> <Endless>? <laughs> I
1: don't. Dang no. it. I know. Uh, but uh, there's two things that we come away from this conversation knowing for certain. Evan doesn't like sea animals, and he doesn't like carpentry. And those are hard lines that he's drawn in the sand, and that's fine. Unless Everybody you're building a
0: staircase that. that looks like a seashell. Then we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> then well, hey,
1: before, before we let you go... Uh, In your quest to be the most prolific music writer on the planet right now, you put out another really big article on Yard Barker called the 22 worst pop hits of the last 22 years. And I have only started to dig into this a little bit. I do have some thoughts. Uh, It's a fascinating undertaking. Tell me, just give me the quick, quick overview of, of this one.
0: Oh, so this one, we're basically, uh, I uh, was noticing that just at the the end of last year, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis put out a new single. It didn't go anywhere as expected on there, because as we know, the stock of uh, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis (laughs) has crashed in recent years. I couldn't imagine. It has. But uh, it's one of those things from like, what? I mean, we kind of forgot about the moment that they were in. And then I remembered their last big moment when they tried to do this lead single from their sophomore album, Downtown. And it was a huge mm-hmm. single and it was expansive music video. And then I rewatched. It. I'm like, what, what happened to that? It's crazy that song came out. And I know it did to hit the top 10, but like no cultural impact came from it. And then in rewatching it, I'm like, he's buying a moped. He's talking about a moped. <laughs> The chorus has happened I'm on reverse two, And we're talking about a moped. He's obsessed with this moped. Why is this the lead single of your album about <laughs> buying a moped? And it's one of the things where it just kind of led me to be like, 2022, it should be fun to write an album of the worst pop singles of all time. And I'm, it's a, it's a task I was more than happy to do. I will say I did have, I did have to hold myself to some standards because like there were certain things that may not be hits. Like I think Avril Lavigne's Hello Kitty, is a song that would have been perfect for this list, but it, I don't think it charted high enough to really warrant uh, being on that same end. But for me to, I have not really had the chance to touch on some of these issues before. For me, I, my biggest ask, and truly what I want anyone to take away from this podcast is, I just ask people to go onto YouTube and type in the hardest ever by Will Am. And I just want you to make that, maximize that screen and just watch it as, as it happens, because (laughs) it is, it is some of the worst verses I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, I go hard statues that's a line. That's a hashtag rap that he's trying to do, uh, yeah. and then and then just the inexplicable appearance by Mick Jagger coming out of the cosmic void to talk about how he's hard like trigonometry. It's just it's an experience that everyone <laughs> needs to have. It's deeply entertaining for one of the worst songs I've ever heard, and it just it just felt nice to kind of put it all together in one place. It really it really did.
1: Yeah, will I am an artist that was so important at a certain time in my life and has only spiraled downward since then. I, one one quick thing here, and look, we've talked about Taylor Swift ad nauseum on this podcast, and and we've talked a lot about how the lead singles from her albums tend to be stinkers, uh, by and large. Still, you know, I and look, I'm not a fan of the song "Me" featuring Brendan Urie. Feels like that it's all dead. We should be a fan of it. We're not. It's not a good song. Felt a little harsh putting it on this list evan i i I don't know i i mean look it's not a good song i have no defense of it but the 22 worst pop hits of the last 22 years so damn
0: let me let me here's the only thing i will say i started doing a write-up of just like what you made me do and it didn't feel right i could have done a write-up about bad blood i could have done a write-up about bad blood featuring kendrick lamar but i think and, I kind of, and listen, I, I don't mean to sit, sit here and praise myself, even though that's a wonderful thing to do. But I will say when <laughs> I wrote when I wrote the line it, that me is a kid's bop version of itself, that kind of felt like <laughs> the thesis statement that I need to go with. Because it really was. I understand she wanted to change course off of reputation. And then, of course, she changed course again right after this happened. Even though a lot of people said Cruel Summer would have been a better lead single. But, you know, hey, that's its own universe, its own thing. Um... <laughs> but it was just the more i think about it and the, i think the fact that honestly when she the video came out and then on the album she removed the line hey kids spelling is fun when she removed right. that i think that was almost an explicit and uh she's never acknowledged it but it was almost an explicit acknowledgement that maybe this maybe this wasn't the tea maybe this wasn't the right move on that in there so yeah. i i there's nothing wrong with her being joyous and happy and in love but even on that album she articulates that better she paper rings come on like there's there are so many other things that could have happened on that end that did it better but yeah it just uh it felt like the cartoonish uh crowd pleasing event that wanted to be so badly. And I just, uh it didn't, it still doesn't sit well with me after, after all <laughs> I get it. You know? Well,
1: this was a fun one. I, I was reading it and thinking like, Oh man, I, I want to write this too. Cause it, there's <laughs> just, I mean, you get to choose from like so many Limp biscuit songs. Um, I, I had never heard of this JC Shazza's song. Oh really? Like, I know I somehow I completely avoided it all the way up until this point in my life. And I, I want to look it up now and listen to it because the write-up of it, 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 it sounds just as bad as you would think reading the song title. Um, <laughs> it sounds- I, I
0: think you have to. I, you have to do it right after this podcast. Put it in a tweet. It's what needs to happen. It, is, uh, it will change your <laughs> life. Other th- But the other thing is that I had to cut down. I had to think about uh, Kid Rocks All Summer Long was a potentiality. Uh, yummy by Justin Bieber was on there, I, uh-huh. and I had to cut Selfie by the Chainsmokers because a lot of people said it was uh, very self aware and it got misinterpreted along the way, which we can have arguments yeah. about that. But okay, I see that point. Yeah,
1: yeah. Was Bryce coming at you for this one too? Because I, th- I thought I saw something on Twitter today.
0: Um, I don't, I don't think so. But I do have someone uh, coming at me right now saying uh, they are giving random lifeless people verification now uh i don't know what this is in reference to but uh someone someone online the 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 haters are fun it really is oh yeah he wanted he wanted uh meant to be uh, No, he went to thunder by imagine dragons on that list uh is what he wanted which i understand but then again someone this year played me the song cutthroat by imagine dragons which wasn't a hit but was one of the worst things i've ever heard because i don't know why rick (laughs) rubin is guiding uh imagine dragons to make serious songs but they are and it's terrifying
1: Well, Evan, as always, this has been an absolute delight. Uh, if you enjoyed this discussion, please go to Yardbarker. Check out these articles. Uh, the, uh, Links in the comments. Rank, <laughs> the definitive ranking of every visual album. The 22 worst pop hits of the last 22 years. And of course, find Evan on Twitter. Uh, follow his work at Pop Matters. He is a genius and he is a very, very good person. Evan, thank you so much for joining me tonight.
0: Always happy to be here, and don't forget the Nike Air Trainers by Bo and are available <laughs> on on Nike site. One hundred forty dollars. We can do something for Kyle, right? We can make that happen for him, I, right?
1: I hope we can have an actual baseball season this year because it looks like we might not. That's <laughs> oh, no. that's what I need. Okay, I know it's sad, We're gonna we'll, make it happen. we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll make it. We'll we'll work it out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you for joining us on Long Live the Music. If you like our show, subscribe. Follow us, leave us a review, come visit us at itsalldead.com. We just wrapped up our massive, uh, most anticipated music of 2022 uh, endeavor, as well as I, I want to shout out Nadia, who you regularly hear on this podcast. She's just she's the best thing about It's All Dead, and she wrote a really great write-up on the 10th year anniversary of Lana Del Rey's Born to Die. I think it's the best thing she's ever written. I told her that. I think you should go check it out. Uh, so yeah, come visit us. We would love to see you and uh, and know you and cherish you. Because that's what we're all see about See you at here. the We
0: Were Young Fest.
1: Exactly. I hope to see you there, Evan. Uh, <laughs> that's going to do it for Long Live the Music. I'm Kyle Hawk, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Long Live the Music. If you like our show, come find us on Twitter and Facebook at It's All Dead. And of course, come visit our website, itsalldead.com.